I'm trying to be all technological and stuff like that and save paper. But um, some of you guys may have heard right before Christmas or right before New Year's, my computer was stolen out of my car. And so um, I've got this newfangled thing here that I was working with. And um, I forgot how to turn it on. So I'm sorry about that. Um, so I forgot I needs my finger and all these weird places and things like that. But um, so happy to be here this morning. And uh, as we as we uh, move into a season, and, and Nick kind of you know mentioned this, we we're coming out of out of Christmas and uh, the baptism of the Lord Sunday, and we're kind of in this area that's in between um, that point in time, and we've got these special seasons um, in the church, and and we're in this this season of Epiphany, and we're we're like in here we are in between things, and so um, we're we're launching a, a sermon series as a whole called Wonderful Words of Life. Um, so in this, in this series, we're looking at um, how we can, we can get in touch with the ideas of what God wants to do through each and every one of us. Um, asking those questions like, um, what are the divine longings of his heart that he wants to fulfill through each and every one of us? And it's really important in the midst of this that as we talk about these things that we're going to be looking at, that we realize that each and every one of us um, is a member of the priesthood of all believers. And sometimes we, we forget this, okay? You know, they're, they're the folks who are the professionals. You know, you guys come to church on Sunday. I come to church like every day of the week, all right? I'm here Monday through Friday, Saturday. They're supposed to be my days off, but I'm normally here at some point during those times. Um, it's because so much of my life just kind of runs through these buildings and stuff like that. But so, you know, we, sometimes we think we leave this stuff to the professionals. But when we say we go to church, sometimes we miss some of the idea of this because we don't go to church, folks. We are the church. And where you go is where the church goes. And so as we, as we look at these things and we start to talk about these words that bring life into our hearts and into the world around us. It's, it's an impression that we can put on our hearts to say, hey, listen, we are the church. And where we go, these things go too. Now we can take with our mouths and with our words, we can take life into the world. We can bring light into those dark places. Or we can contribute to the darkness. And we can contribute to death. And we can contribute to the things that are contrary to that, that idea. And so... Um, what we're really looking at is what is God really calling us to do? What is he really calling us to be in the midst of all of this? And I, I think you guys will agree with this, but words are important. They're very powerful. Um, you know, it, it do say that as, as you listen to somebody speak, like you're listening to me now, about only about 27% of what you pick up and listen to is going to be what I actually say. What comes out of my mouth goes into this thing, goes out to you guys. All right, 27%. Of the rest of that is going to be my, uh, my hands, my expression, the things that I'm, the way I say what I say and things along those lines. But, but we know that the words that we say are extremely important. How many of y'all have uh, heard this, this statement before? Uh, sticks and stones. It's really cool to have this microphone because I can do this thing somehow makes everybody talk. Sticks and stones, but words, wrong, right? Right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, the real statement is they often hurt us very badly. And it's, 
the power that we have in what we say can bring life or it can bring death. And so we want to focus our hearts. We want to put ourselves in a place where we look at certain things that not only are just words that we say, but words that we live by, things that God is calling us to do and to be. And so over the next, oh, no. Ah, it came back. Okay. So <laughs> I should have had, I should have just, my wife's going, you should have printed that out. And I'm like, yep, I should have printed it out, but it's my new toy and I wanted to play with it. So shouldn't have played with my toy in front of you guys that way. So that's, that's fine. But we're going to be looking at four different words over the next few weeks, mercy, grace, trust, and obey. But all of these words are going to be based on the foundation of something that we all know um, and we've heard very often, that is the word love. We've said it over and over again today that God loves us, that he is, his love is eternal, his love um, is it's lasting, it goes from here to there, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it's never ending in those ways. And last week, Lewis um, made mention of a piece of scripture, and, and uh, Charles used it in his message last week. I want to encourage you guys to go listen to that on the um, podcast or on, um, on the Vimeo there so you can watch it. It's a great message. Um, but this piece of scripture that we find in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians sorry, 13, um, how many of y'all had that read at your wedding if you're married? If you're not married, um, you probably will have it read at your wedding, potentially. My dad read it at ours. Um, and we hear this all the time, and um, we hear it talked about in many cases is about how the way that we interact with each other, how do we love one another, love is these things. Um, in 1 John 4, 8, it tells us that God himself is love. And so when we read these words and we see these words, these are the words that describe his character, his nature, the things that he cares about, the way he he would look at this. Because if you want to do a little bit of algebra, you've got, you know, God is, which is like an equal sign, love. So anywhere you see the word love, you could replace God in that lineup and you would receive the same message in a, in a more personal light in that direction. So we're going to take a look at this piece of scripture this morning. Um, Nick's going to pop it up here on the screen. And um, it's very familiar. This is just a portion of it from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Um, and we're actually going to read this three times um, in a little bit different way each time. So Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So let's do the algebra for just a moment. We'll read it one more time. And the next time, it's going to look just a little bit different. So Nick, pop that next one up there. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. And we get this glimpse of what it looks like to have this character, what the character of God looks like, the way that he sees us, the way that he treats us. And there's so many people in the world that think that God does keep a record of wrongs, and he's always checking off. It's like Santa Claus in the sky, you know, he's, he's naughty or nice and all these types of things. And that's, 
When Jesus' blood covers us, when he, his sacrifice is in place for us, the record of wrongs is wiped clean. But as believers, when we're asked to follow God, and even as Christians, which means little Christs or like Christs, we can take a look at this piece of scripture and it becomes application for our lives. So let's read it one more time. And it says this, I must be patient. I must be kind. I must not envy. I must not boast. I must not be proud. I must not dishonor others. I must not be self-seeking. I must not be easily angered. I must not keep records of wrongs. I must not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. I must always protect and always trust and always hope and always persevere. This is when I changed a little bit. I must try to be like the one who never fails. And all of a sudden, this algebra gets a little more difficult. Because there's a lot of times when we're not patient, right? That might be the hardest thing. I think it's really interesting that God puts that one first. Love is patient. You're like, man, I want it now, okay? Love is kind. You know, we mentioned the highways in Atlanta. I mean, dude, we need this scripture so bad on the highways of Atlanta. It's just... And, oh, man, y'all, I'm so sorry. We're going to fix this. But as we, as we look at these types of things in our lives, we're going to start this week. This is a foundation for us to look at the way that God is working through us, but we're going to start this week with the verse about mercy. With the word mercy, Sorry. We turn our focus this morning that way. Mercy is the compassion or the forgiveness shown towards someone who is within our power or within one's power to punish. Okay, so as you're a parent in the room, you are probably among the most merciful people that ever existed. Now, your kids may not, may not agree with you because you have much power, Right? I'm watching one kid laugh at her mother right now. Her mother's not making eye contact with her. She's like, that's right. I have tons of power. But I know that parents are patient and kind in many cases, and they do their best to be merciful in ways that help bring life to their kids. But there are moments for punishment, but there are also moments for grace and moments for mercy in those ways. If we are merciful, we bring relief from something that's foreboding or unpleasant for someone. And on the other side of that, conversely, if we are merciless, we are ruthless, we are remorseful, we are pitiless, unforgiving, cold-blooded, heartless, or cruel. Y'all know what we're talking about. But mercy is a word that we don't talk about very much because it has so much power involved in it. Um, I don't know if you guys are, this is not really a thing or not anymore. I've, I've not seen any students do this for a while, but um, it's probably too dangerous for them um, because they might hurt their fingers and then they can't use their phone. But we used to play this game, this really stupid game growing up called Mercy. It looks something like this. There's a picture up here. Okay. Y'all seen this before? How many of y'all done this before? All the guys in the room are raising their hands. It's, that's why all of our knuckles are like weird shaped and stuff like that. And um, so obviously it hasn't been played since the 90s because that's the only picture of this, this game that was worth anything that I could find. And 
and nobody's worn cargo jeans since the 90s. Um, so then there's probably something pretty on the outskirts of this picture that they're trying to impress with their their manliness um, in this way. And so in this game, you know, you grab those fingers and you hold on to somebody and you're just trying to hurt them as much as you can until they cry out mercy. And um, it's the dumbest game ever, okay? Have you never played this, Kel? No, she has no idea. This must definitely just be a guy thing. There's, there's guys playing it back in the back right now that can't resist. It's just, you know, it's this game that we play, and it's like, how long can you hold on? And this, you know, sometimes this is the way we think about God's mercy is like God's just pushing us down into the ground, but that is not the picture of God. He's not holding on to us until we cry out and scream, let me go. Um, although there is some scripture of that. It might play into that somewhere back in the Old Testament. But when we start looking at this, there's... Um, this idea that we would cry out mercy because of the pain around us. Um, there's also the mercy rule, um, also known as the skunk rule. Um, if you are not doing well in your game, and you're, if you're playing ping pong, you're down by seven points, you're done. Okay, that's the way it goes. House rules in youth group. Um, but these games are meant to, to relieve the pain that somebody else might have because they just can't come back from the from the deficit that they have in a game. And so sometimes we think of mercy in, in that way where we are relieving the, the strife of something else around us. We're trying to be merciful to people who are obviously not able to keep up. But today, um, as we look at Scripture, we're going to look a little bit deeper at two pieces of Scripture um, that talk about mercy. And the first one is from the book of Matthew. And it's chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And this is actually the calling of the man, Matthew, who is the person who wrote this book. And uh, Matthew was a publican, um, not a republican, but a publican. He was a, a tax gatherer. He was um, literally the word means a farmer of taxes. Um, and so if you think about it that way, he worked um, probably at the, uh, at the port. Um, and so as people would come in, he was taking customs. Now, tax collectors, um, as much as in our community today, some people, if you work for the IRS, I'm sorry, don't come after me, but they sometimes don't have the greatest reputation. They're hard on us sometimes, and we feel like they're, they're just doing their job. These guys didn't do just their job, okay? They took a commission off the top of it, and so as they would take this commission, they would kind of raise the cost a little bit so they could get some more commission, and then they would charge some fees, and... It's like, you know, it would be like going to Comcast. You know, you get this deal, and then you'd start getting all this other stuff popped up on top of it. And so they, these guys were not um, looked at in any kind of way with, with favor. But the other side of it was is these guys were most of the time, they were Jewish people, but they were working for the Roman government. And so they were seen as traitors. They were seen as apostates because they lived their lives among the, the heathen of the day. Um, they were willing tools of the oppressor, if you think about it those ways. So, I mean, if you were to think about it, and this might be kind of still a dated idea in some ways, but if you went back to World War II and you had somebody who was a Jew who decided to wear the uniform of the Nazis and to work for them, that's the way that these people were viewed, the disdain, the, just the ugliness of this situation. Now, we don't know why Matthew was a tax collector, a publican. But we know in those moments that he probably felt judged by his people, rejected by his people. 
He was isolated. He was probably rich monetarily, but he was probably not rich in relationships. His family may have disowned him. He was probably lonely for, for richness or for fullness in relationship with people. He was in a hard spot. He may not have had a lot of money, but he was not where he wanted to be. And we know that because as this piece of scripture unfolds, he makes some pretty bold moves. So here in Matthew 9, I said 9 through 13, we, we read these things. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But on hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this last statement there, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is actually a quote from the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. We have this up on the screen, too. Um, it says this, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So in these moments, as we, as we look at this piece of Scripture, we, we have Jesus, and in these moments, he has all the power. He's God on earth. He's you know, a rabbi traveling through areas. He got people following him just to hear what he has to say. He's famous in a lot of ways. Um, later in Matthew, he'll, you'll hear him say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So for him, the tax man has no power over him. You know, he, if it's Caesar wants it, Caesar can have it. So he has all the power in this moment. There's nothing, there's nothing that Matthew can give to him. Or hold against him. But in these moments, though, he sees Matthew sitting there at the customs box. And he may have seen him before. We don't really know. It's a busy place. He might have walked past Matthew. He may have known his dad. You know, we don't know all the story in the background. But he knows at these moments that he has a rejected, isolated, lonely man. And he looks at him and says... Two simple words, follow me. Now, the response that he gets from Matthew is not one of those, well, you know, I've got a lot of stuff to do today. I've still got to work. I'll get off at five. You know, I can come follow you after then. Now, he stands up in that moment, and he takes off, leaves everything. And we see this story over and over again with Jesus that he says, follow me, and people get up, and they just leave everything, and they go and follow him. And it makes us think about, you know, what is, what is happening to these people? What, what are they experiencing? What in their life do they understand in these moments that we don't necessarily see every day? And I, I think that in these moments, you know, these, these people are having this struggle in their life. They're having these things that they are, are wrestling with. And in these moments, they have somebody who obviously has all this power. And they ask that person to be a part of them. And they leave it. They go. They don't feel healthy, and they recognize a doctor. And the Pharisees, they don't get this. They don't understand what that means, what that looks like, that he's not there to satisfy the needs of the people who are already okay, but that he's there to heal the sick and to restore the broken 
when he quotes this prophet that he desires mercy, not sacrifice, acknowledgement of God, and not burnt offerings. He's implying that these religious people, these perfect movers of their faith, the, the machinations that they go on, their regular practice, they're all good and well, and they're good, but if they don't come along with mercy, if they don't come along with a change of the heart, then all the things they're doing are not the desire of God's heart. His heart is for acknowledgement of him. His heart is for mercy. And so our ability, if we turn this back on us, our ability to be merciful cannot be expressed if we're not on the move into a place where people who are sick exist. Inside these walls, we, we come and we have our baggage, we have our things that we need to deal with, but our, our ability to act in mercy, to be what God wants us to be and do, if this is the place where the people who already have a relationship with God come, then the mercy of God cannot be fully expressed in this place. These walls can't hold it. And we come here, and it's our kind of our, our health club where we get built up and maybe we get some healing that we need, but the mercy of God is for the sick, for the broken that exist outside of these walls as well. Our ability to be merciful requires us to be among the sick, the poor, the lost, the lonely, the rejected, the outcasted. So then people would be like, well, why would we do that? Why would we, like Jesus, involve ourselves with somebody who is obviously a publican? Why would we step out of this place and find the broken and the sick? And it's because we find ourselves in a place where we have had or have experienced the mercy of God in our own lives. And we're not going to put this, this parable up on the screen, but in Matthew 18, somebody comes to Jesus and says, how often should I have should I forgive my neighbor seven times? And Jesus replies to them, no, 70 times seven. So, the, you know, the mathematician's like 490 times. Awesome, good. Okay, after 490 times, you're done. Okay. And I don't think that's what Jesus is probably just trying to say in those moments. He's trying to say, hey, listen, how many times could somebody break your heart? If they can get up to 490 times, man, that's a love. But by that time, you should be pretty practiced in forgiving them. But in these moments, he tells a parable about a king. He says there's this king who wants to settle his accounts, and there's a servant that he has that owes him 10,000 bags of gold. All right, even by today's standards, 10,000 bags of gold. How many of y'all would like to have 10,000 bags of gold right now? That's what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. See, there's some people who are like, yeah, go buy that Tesla. All right, well, you know, whatever. I don't know. But if you don't want a Tesla, that's fine. You can have something else. But, you know, 10,000 bags of gold. And, and initially, this king brings this guy before him, and he says, you owe me the 10,000 bags of gold, and I'm going to, this is Roman custom, by the way, I'm going to take you and your family and your, your wife and your children, and I'm going to sell you into slavery, and I'm going to get my money back that way. 
And I mean, that's ruthless, right? Seems that ruthless. It's a lot of money, though. And the guy obviously hasn't paid. And so this guy, he falls on his knees and he begs the king, please don't do this. Please don't do this to me, my family. I'll pay you back. I promise, be patient with me. And this king has this moment. Remember our, our definition of mercy. He has all the power in his hands to literally just wipe this guy out. He says, you know what? I release you from your debt. All of it. 10,000 bags of gold. All your student loans. Gone. Would you be happy? Yeah. I'd be happy. And this guy stands up. He's rejoicing. He's great. And he runs out into the square. And he finds his friend, quote-unquote friend, who owes him about 100 bucks, probably. 10,000 bags of gold, 100 bucks. He assaults this man, choking him around the neck and says, pay me what you owe me. And the guy says, I don't have it. He gets down on his knees. He says the exact same things. Please, please, please be patient with me. I don't have it. I don't have this. And this guy, who is from this point on known as the wicked servant, the unmerciless servant, the whatever other name you want to call him, servant, has this man thrown in jail for the 100 bucks that he owes him. Moments after he's received this mercy from the king. And the king finds out. He brings the man back in. You know, this is, this is when it gets kind of crazy. And this is what the king says to him. You wicked servant, I canceled all your debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And he hands the man over to the jailers to be tortured until he pays back the 10,000 bags of gold. And that's hard. It's really hard. And then Jesus says this really crazy thing when he talks about forgiveness and mercy. And it's scary in some respects, but it should wake us up because he looks and says, this is how your heavenly father will treat you, each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Folks, this is red letter stuff. This is Jesus talking himself. This is how your father would treat you if you don't forgive, if you don't show mercy, if you don't have this in your life. Now, this sounds like, you know, kind of a, like one of those, like, you know, bait and switch kind of thing. I'm going to forgive you and you better do this type of thing. But the fact is, is that the father's heart is, the king's heart is so open and so wants to, to be merciful in those ways. And Jesus is telling this story because he's saying, hey, listen, this dude who didn't, who didn't respect it, didn't care for it, didn't love it, he turned that mercy over and damaged the person around him. But you, on the other side, have the opportunity to respond to the mercy that you have received and to give, to reciprocate it back to people around us. So as we look at our lives, mercy comes from this expectation in our hearts that in, the, in the, the heart of what God had for us when he gave us life through Jesus, that we are able to, again, push and reciprocate that life out to people around us. 
that that character, the heart of God that granted mercy for us should change the way that our character exists and acts. Remember, it should not be easily angered. It should not be self-seeking. It should keep no record of wrongs. It should be patient, kind, encouraging. Matthew and the most merciful servant give us a picture of what mercy should look like us for us. First and foremost, like Matthew, we should follow Jesus. In the, in the, in the mercy that he has to invite us out of our, our brokenness, we should follow him. Peter said, where else will we go? You have the words of life. And so we have the opportunity to follow him in those ways. Matthew also did something for the lost around him. He threw a party. He said, hey, this guy set me free. So he invited all the other guys who needed to be set free. He told the story and invited them into the presence of this man who can do that. So we have this, this opportunity in front of us in our world around us to invite ourselves, to invite into the presence of God people who need his mercy and to be merciful people, to trade in mercy in the way we interact with people around us, to deploy it as a, as a, a love gift to the people who need it in forgiveness in actions, in our words. So I want to invite the guys in the band to come forward. I've got one last piece of scripture I just want you to see as we close. And it comes from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And it's something you may have heard before. You may not. But again, another prophet. And it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be blessed, or excuse me, be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Folks, we have to be careful that our actions in faith, our actions in worship, our actions of coming and going in the name of God are not at the expense or without the recognition that there are people around us who need to experience God's mercy his love we can do all these things we can bring all of our gifts we can come all the time we can be here every day of the week but if we don't walk humbly with God if we don't act justly if we don't love mercy we've missed the we've missed it so this morning as the as the band closes out I just want to pray as we close and I just want to say that these these altar rails are open it's a place for you to come to do business with God. If your heart has been hard, if your heart has been broken, and you need somebody to, to have mercy, God is here for you and to have mercy. And if you want God to speak to your heart and to lead you and guide you and help you see and hear with his eyes and his ears so that you can be 
a merciful person to this world for people who are sick and broken and lonely and lost. You can find that calling here as well. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we uh, have had the opportunity to hear your word, as we've had the opportunity to worship you, God, I pray that you would open our hearts so that we can see and hear with your eyes and ears. God, people around us are broken. Lord, in so many ways, we're broken, but we have received your mercy. We've been favored by you. You had all of the power to cast us out and throw us away, and instead you sent your son that we might stand before you whole. God, in these moments, help us to be mindful of of those people that need your mercy and help us to be mindful of your voice as you lead and direct us to them. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.